0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson.
1: Tech, 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 Tech Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Bonjour, artisans of the digital age. Welcome to creators and lovers of the fine arts and particularly those who belong to the very niche brand on the very fringe of fine art where cutting-edge technology exists, emitting its brilliant light with a bathing glow on all those who care to dabble. And welcome to our master of the light and shade, Matthew Dickerson. What was your distraction this week, Matt?
0: I've actually been really impressed, James, by the number of people that have been speaking to you that are saying, we're listening to your podcast, we're really fixated on it, we can hardly wait till it comes in yeah, every week. They're out there. They're oh, out there. Wow. And so I've had random people that I wouldn't have thought would have been that much into technology, but hopefully we're presenting enough in... Common things that are affecting everyday people with everyday things, and it's not just something that for people that are really focused on it. So, friends, we've ma-
1: got a bit of variety there. I think we do quite a good job, yeah. Yeah, but friends so, so, so. a,
0: a thousand years ago have been contacting me saying, Hey, I love this. Their kids are listening to it. I know you've had some people as well, yeah. I've had are,
1: People come up as people I wouldn't have suspected, but uh, yeah, they tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, that's great job,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I'm really impressed that. And it's great to hear the feedback as well, but I'm impressed some of those people. Uh, listening to it out there you don't know who's listening to it sure we can look at numbers and i can tell you lots of numbers and who's using what type of podcast and what age they are and what country they're in and that's all fascinating but when it gets down to individuals saying hey i listen to that you go oh wow it's actually making a difference to individuals so i'm really impressed with that so keep the feedback coming
1: that's right and thank you for listening to folks out there well folks join with me as we step boldly into the gallery and cast our ears over the eclectic juxtaposition of stories in front of us today of course with my art-themed intro, there'd have to be a story about at least one of the great masters, and we're going to look straight into the viability of da Vinci's famous 15th century helicopters design today. And further on the subject of flight, we'll look at a brand new direction for passenger airlines and electric wound dressings, folks. Could be the next big thing in first aid. But let's get this gallery tour started. Idealists among us who believe in the strength of the human spirit will argue that some things in this world just cannot be bought. And so when Josh Wardle, the creator of lockdown phenomenon, Wordle, promised that he wouldn't ever sell his his unique uh, app there, he would remain free for its players for eternity. Wordle devotees around the world smiled with gratitude. But, Matthew, it appears that everyone has their price and there are no exceptions.
0: It does appear that. And he did. Josh made that statement to say this will remain free for the millions of daily players. What a great concept And having millions of people yeah. play. It. it sounded fantastic. Thanks, Josh Wardle, for that. That's right. Until a decent offer was put on the table. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Oh, every man can <laughs> And watch. actually, it wasn't quite as big as I thought it might have been. There are millions of people who play this every day. There are people who are dedicated to it. It hasn't got a lot of hang time, so maybe that counts against it slightly. People might spend 30 seconds, a minute, a couple of minutes until they solve it. And then, as we've talked about before with Wordle, you can't do it again until the next day. So you're not going to spend hours on it. So maybe that reduces the advertising potential of it.
1: It's a bit old-fashioned in that regard that, that you're not playing for further rewards and further rewards and further rewards. You're not trying to build anything up. You're just essentially just trying to solve the problem for
0: the day. Well, that's at the moment, isn't it? And that yeah. may well change because the New York Times has offered a figure or they've come to agreement with Josh for a low seven-figure sum, which even that, so that's maybe three or four million, I'd call a low seven-figure sum. Mm. Even that, that sounds nice. It nice little payday for me, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, if
1: I've got something that millions of people want to use, maybe you want to sell it for a bit more.
0: Well, that's Interesting, isn't it? And I'm also intrigued the fact that the New York Times or anyone else didn't just come along and say, well, it's actually not that complicated. We can probably get a programmer to create that in a few days. The concept's great. Well done, Josh. We'll just steal the concept. But I think New York Times have shown a bit of credibility here. They've taken a bit of chump change out of the bottom drawer, <laughs> shown it to Josh and said, we'll just buy the concept and retain our credibility. But the big question now is, what is the New York Times' going to do, with, do it. It with it mm. are they going to just flood the page with advertising are they going to put it behind a paywall are they going to make it so that you can play multiple times over or maybe pay a subscription to play more than once there's a whole range and of options and you play for
1: awards and then you can buy more coins and then you can buy <laughs> your rewards and they oh.
0: don't give them ideas james no <laughs> but it is interesting that at the moment they've said it will still be free for the millions of daily players at the moment mm how long There's that's for. a disclaimer for? right there. Exactly right. How long that goes for, what the model will look like in years to come, who knows. But at the moment, look, good luck to Josh Wardle. I think most people in his position who just created a little fun game for his girlfriend in lockdown and someone says, mm, I'll give you a few million for that, they probably go, well, I could pick the right lottery numbers and mm-hmm. <laughs> win the lotto or I could just hand this over to them or sell this to them. So I think from Josh's perspective, that's okay. I'm really interested to see how the New York Times Monetize this and whether people will keep playing in the same numbers.
1: Yeah, well, look after us in New York, New York Times um, and make sure that, uh, yeah, well, you keep the, the dream alive, I guess. Don't you hate it when your phone runs out of charge, folks? It's just so frustrating, isn't it, Matt? Well, what about running out of batteries in an EV plane? That'd be next level. Matt, EV passenger planes are now a thing and super long extension cords are not.
0: No, can we call it an EP? Rather okay. than an EV plane, does <laughs> well, that sound better? It's a, a vehicle, but
1: no, no, no. <laughs> it okay. is a vehicle. You want to uh, get a distinction there, let's go, EP. EP. So, oh, right.
0: and now that sounds like a record, doesn't record. it, from the old days. So <laughs> now we're in trouble. So a- a- EA, electric aeroplane, maybe? Who knows?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, let, well, I'm really interested here. But, like, um, you can now charge up your plane. And fly. How far can you go on on a charge on a plane?
0: Well, it's intriguing. They're talking about maybe you'll get eight hundred and eighteen kilometers, which seems like a very precise mm. amount, given the fact there's a lot of variables out there and the wind <laughs> direction, all the and rest. And then of you
1: it. fall out of the sky like some wily e. coyote cartoon.
0: And yeah. you're heavy because you've got uh, batteries on board, yeah, so you're, <laughs> you're heavy. But this is the thing we've looked before at some prototypes, some testing, some experiments with electric planes. But now this is called the Alice. It's developed by an Israeli company called Eviation, a little play on aviation with mm-hmm. the E in the front there. So they've gone EV actually, haven't they? So they've got an <laughs> EV at the beginning of it. So they've actually got now a commercial version of this plane to the point where DHL, the express company, or the freight company, has actually ordered 12 of these planes. So they've got three configurations of this plane. One can hold nine passengers, which is just a normal configuration for a plane of this size. One can hold six passengers to give you a slightly more luxurious flight. But the one that's going to be the first user can hold 385 kilograms of cargo. And that's the one DHL Express will be using, obviously, initially. But it then starts to say, well, you've got freight up there. You've obviously got pilots in the plane. Mm. Once people see that happening and they feel confident with that, then I think people will say, well, if there's a passenger aircraft like that, that looks pretty good. Mm. Now, the real thing here, all the experts are saying for short hops, for flights that are less than 818 kilometres, and obviously you think they wouldn't try and fly 818 exactly. They'd be going for Mm. flights around that four to maybe 600 kilometres. For those sort of flights, that's where this aircraft – will actually be much more economical to run than a normal internal combustion aircraft. So they talk about the fact that these flights, they're cheaper to run, those short hop flights will be much better. And I think the main thing is that they can do those flights in it, When you start flying Sydney to LA, for example, they just haven't got the ability to carry the weight of batteries we need Mm. with current technology to handle flying across the oceans. But doing those short-haul flights, which are very popular, even in places like the US, where a lot of people use that as their commute to work, that's the real sweet spot for these planes. So finally, we've got commercial aircraft being developed. There's lots of other ones in the market as well. NASA handed over about $358 million to GE Aviation to get this technology into US fleets by 2035. Boeing, we talked about them last week, where they've got Whisk Aero. They've basically given them a chunk of money, about half a billion dollars or thereabouts, to try and get a, an all-electric aircraft going. So there's people out there doing it, but this one called the Alice will be the first one doing it in that commercial environment. So not long before we'll be getting on a plane. Yeah, 2022
1: and, is the start.
0: Yeah. yeah, And saying, let's just go that little short flight, that 300 or 400 kilometre place away somewhere else and we'll just jump in this electric aircraft it's got to be quieter you think obviously it's got to be again more efficient for the airline but just confidence that's the thing that i'm just not sure people get in there and they see a little lead plugged (laughs) into the side of it and they go did you leave it in for long enough can we just check the battery meter there make sure it's all okay
1: and just hope you don't get put in a holding pattern outside (laughs) mascot uh, because there's some incident down on the uh, on the main runway there and
0: that's what i talked about that 818 kilometres. Obviously, planes have to have a certain amount of spare fuel on board Mm. to be able to be put in a holding pattern. Maybe these aircraft get (laughs) some sort of priority. (laughs) Can you just start there for 20 minutes? No, we can't. We've got to come down now.
1: (laughs) Or a bloody good set of parachutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So the the cruise speed as well, which is interesting, it's only 460 kilometres an hour now. Something like the Q400, which is a common flight used on those short-haul flights, it flies at about 666 kilometres an hour. Mm. So again, it's slower, but it's only a smaller aircraft as well. The Q400 is typically configured for 72 seats, so this one here with only nine seats on board is a start, but I think where they're really aiming is to get to those planes that have got up to about 40 passengers. I think that's where we'll really see Mm. electric aircraft take off. Excuse the pun. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even mean that one. (laughs) Less than 40 passengers, and for those Locations that are less than, say, 600 kilometres apart. That's where we'll really see the sweet spot for these aircraft. And it'll happen, James. It will happen. Someone well, doubt it's it.
1: 2022 now, yep. and what's going to happen in 2030? You yeah. know, the, this technology isn't going to die here. It's, it's going to grow and grow. So,
0: so we'll, we'll mark these words, and we'll play it back to someone <laughs> in many years' time when they get on their first electric aircraft Told and say, so. that's right, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The sceptics are falling silent as the crowing from EV fans gets louder and louder and louder. If you pardon the pun, folks, electric cars are charging ahead in Australia now, with sales on the up and up and no signs of slowing. Matt, through that silly told you so grin on your face, can you please manage to share with us the biggest selling EVs in Australia in 2021?
0: At least my pun was accidental, but that, that was a pretty bad <laughs> one. <was> forced. <laughs> There's two things I think that are significant out of the top 10 electric vehicles from last year. And in fact, all the figures from uh, car sales last year in Australia. The first thing that's really significant is we're not Norway. We are nowhere near mm-hmm. Norway. Mm. Our percentage is 1.95% of all new vehicles sold okay, last so year. So I said
1: it was growing. It's growing. And
0: yeah. if you look at the growth, it has doubled. There were less than 1%. Of electric cars sold last year in Australia of all new cars sold. So we've got to 1.95%. It's pretty easy to double when you're starting from a very low base. So mm. we did start from a low base, but at least it's growing. Norway can't double because obviously they'd be past 100% then, which doesn't make sense <laughs> mathematically. So we can keep doubling for a few years yet. But a couple of things I found really interesting. One, if you looked at a medium-sized sedan, the number one seller was the Toyota Camry. They sold 13,081 vehicles. Number two in that category, and I'm not talking about electric vehicles, I'm just talking about all vehicles, number two in that mid-size sedan was the Tesla Model 3, 12094 So wow. not far behind. So for people out there buying that mid sized car, they're saying Toyota Camry, yeah, okay, just ahead of the Tesla Model 3. Yeah, wow. What that says to me is if you've got a good car at a reasonable price, and the Tesla Model 3 is still a lot dearer than a Camry, but if you've got a good price for that, good value for money price – People are buying it and mm. that's the real challenge. When you then look down the top ten though, top ten of EVs, and this list was brought out to show the sales of electric cars. The only thing I'm not totally happy with in this list is it also includes plug in hybrids. I like to talk about You're EVs. A I do like to be a bit of a purist mm. there, a bit of an EV snob, but at least people are plugging these ones in and they're getting some distance and some speeds out of them. And I've owned yeah. a couple of plug in hybrid electric vehicles, I must admit, they were years ago that I owned those ones. So the world's moved on, but they're still on the list at the moment. So number one, obviously the Tesla Model 3, 12,094. Number two in the list was the MG ZS with 1,388. Now that's significant. There's about eight and a half times more Teslas sold than number two in the list. Mm. So talk about market share. Yeah, yeah. Tesla's kind of got that market share pretty well covered. The Mitsubishi Outlander drops down to 592. So only the top two even get above 1,000. Then another MG, the HS580, a Porsche at number five. Hyundai's got a couple in here. The Kona at number six with 505. The Volvo XC40, another Hyundai, the Ionic, the Nissan Leaf, so my daughter's got a Nissan Leaf, so she'll be pleased to know that's number nine in the top ten. And the Mercedes-Benz EQA, and that's a bit of a sign where things are going to come, I think, from the, in the future. Mercedes-Benz are starting to really get onto this. They've got a range of EVs they're bringing out, so I think Mercedes-Benz is really going to start to rocket up that list as well.
1: And the more people are talking about EVs, and the higher profile they get, the more people will go shopping for them, right? So I gather, you know, there's some of these models here I've, I didn't even, wasn't even aware about. You know, yeah. the Porsche Taycan, yeah, I've never heard of that. This is the first time I heard of it. <laughs> That's
0: right. And you're right. I'll get myself one tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I think the thing is that you will see people talking about them and you will see people say, I'll start to consider them now. And unfortunately, still in this country, we've still got a bit of a struggle. I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough during the week that I had to have a meeting with a federal poly who was someone in the government, part of the same government at the last federal election who said, you shouldn't buy EVs, I'll wreck your weekend, or those sort of silly things yeah. we've heard about. And so I said to this federal poly, have you ever actually been in one, ever driven one, and he sheepishly looked at the ground and kicked his feet around and rubbed the the stones on the ground and kind of mumbled under his breath that, no. (laughs) And I said, well, it's about time you did. So I put him in one of mine, said, there you go, take it for a drive. He was blown away. It was unbelievable. And I did make the point that it's a bit disappointing that a government comes out very much against something they haven't even experienced. So, yeah, anyway, exactly. politics aside, we try and leave politics aside, although they do sneak in a little bit there. But VW, for example, because of that lack of focus from our government, VW with their ID4 and their ID3, so they're two platforms they build and then they build different cars on top of those. You can't get them in Australia. You mm. cannot get any ID4, or ID3 models because Volkswagen say, we're taking these cars to countries that actually want them. Now, I have had the discussion with someone else who said, well, you can't buy them here. We haven't got enough numbers. There's too much demand and not enough supply. So they're not bringing them into Australia. And the point is right, but we could get them to bring them into Australia, the manufacturers, if we showed a bit of focus, a bit of interest in them. But Mm. when we say, oh, we don't really want them, they're stupid, they wreck your weekend, the manufacturers say, we're taking them to Norway. Thanks very much. We're going to ignore Australia. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but look, I can't even say that I've seen an ad uh, on television or otherwise um, for an electric car. I, I wouldn't be able to name one that I've seen. Um, and so if there's not the advertising in there, if they're only if it's only people who are enthusiasts who are super keen to, to get themselves an electric car, then maybe they'll go hunting for a model that they'll like. But yeah, um, yeah it, some people need to be slapped in the face. Well, I think you're realize. right.
0: And, and again, I think that's part of the process where those manufacturers aren't advertising them simply because... They haven't got the, the supply of those particular models because they're not bringing them into the country. Mm. So it's this problem that's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. We don't have them in the country. We don't advertise them. Oh, look at that. Aussies aren't buying those cars. So why bother about advertising or bring them in? If you flipped it over and the government showed some direction and really encouraged them, even if government departments said, we're going to make a directive to say, this year 10% of all our new cars we're going to buy are electric. That would increase those numbers dramatically. Mm. We only sold... About twenty thousand cars last year. Twenty thousand six hundred and sixty-five electric vehicles were bought last year. So imagine some government departments across the nation saying we must buy ten percent of them. Those numbers would go up dramatically, and then suddenly we'd see some advertising. We'd see some more models come in. So all those things would change. Mm. So it's a it's a bit of a problem, but I think we're getting there in terms of a little bit of interest. Some people are leading this and when policy votes in it that's when they might jump on the bandwagon
1: yeah yeah well the message i think is clear if you've got one guys or if you're thinking about getting an electric car and talk about it yeah crow about it the next story comes with a health warning folks if you'd asked me before today i might have said that the worst physical injury you might sustain in gaming would have been a little rsi in both thumbs you know from the joystick bizzo on those controller pads nothing that a little deep heat wouldn't remedy that's for sure but not so for one German gamer who, wait for it, folks, broke his neck. Matt, what sort of digital shenanigans do gamers now need to be wary of in order to avoid ending up in a neck brace and a titanium halo?
0: Now, this image that we have of gamers, James, sitting in a darkened room hey! in, a very, yeah, in a very stretched out couch and eating their chips and soft <laughs> drinks while relaxing screaming
1: at their friends that's That's, my son that's that's
0: the noise they make is hilarious isn't it (laughs) that kind of gets thrown out the window when you think about someone breaking their neck and the quote was
1: that's some intense game that is
0: the quote was that he felt his neck crack after moving too intensely while wearing a virtual reality headset how do you move intensely while playing a game now i've played some games with virtual reality headsets, and they do feel a bit heavy, but I've never really moved my neck that violently that I think I'm at risk of breaking my neck during the yeah, play. Wow. So obviously this was a very intense game that he was in, but he broke his C7, which was just down above the shoulders. So mm. that's pretty serious if you start breaking that and obviously damaging your spinal cord. He didn't in this case, so it was lucky. He cracked his vertebrae. Uh, so again, this is the problem we have. The headsets are pretty heavy. Now, this head- headset in particular was six hundred and ten grams. So that's a fair bit of weight to put on if you're then going to start throwing your head around yeah. in all sorts of different directions. And again, I'm intrigued because when I've played games, things might be happening on screen. I've moved my hands intensely, but I don't remember moving my head intensely. He must have really been <laughs> so much into it that he had to jump out of the way of something or move out of the way, and so he's moved his head as part of that process. So, I need to
1: build up his neck muscles a little bit more, but m- maybe. But, but that. VR set sits on the front of your face, so that makes the front of your head a lot heavier as well, and your spine's at the back, isn't it? So, or well, at least perched, you know, with the forearm of magnum and magnum just a little bit underneath, but, yeah. but towards the back. So he's got this front weight of 610 grams.
0: And I don't know what a motorbike helmet weighs, for example, but I know when I've ridden motorbikes. But that's distributed motorbikes, all around the head. And that was what I was thinking, but I think your point's right. I hadn't thought about that because, you know, I've ridden motorbikes, I've raced motorbikes, go-karts, all sorts of things. You're wearing a helmet, but... I think that's right. It's actually putting even weight around your head. And there's a fair bit of force on your neck when you're doing various things out in the real world. For sure. On motorbikes, go-karts, your, your neck's being, or having some pressure thrown on there. But I think that might be the point, that the fact that you've got all that weight at the front and it's kind of pulling that head forward while you're trying to manoeuvre or do things there. So it is a bit of a warning for people, something that maybe we didn't we're aware of yeah. obviously we're
1: aware of it now but it might be a little bit much to start pressing the alarm buttons right now <laughs> this is one guy after one incident yeah we yeah. never drink milk as a family. kid growing up yeah, that's right <laughs> yeah probably need to watch his diet a little bit I don't know I'm making assumptions now but uh, right. but
0: know. I think you're right the, the RSI thing was something new that we didn't realise we would have from gamers in particular moving their thumbs Intensely during mm-hmm. their gameplay, but the next thing might be maybe strengthen up your neck muscles. You want to play a game, sure. Just go to the gym for three months, work on those neck muscles, then you can come start playing some VR games. <laughs> maybe they'll get to the stage with the VR headsets are just lighter. That might be the solution.
1: Well, there's maybe a hint for uh, the manufacturers. You see them on any dime-a-dozen American cop drama sooner or later, and they they tend to get dragged out in dodgy reality TV shows every now and then to embarrass some unsuspecting guinea pig on a national scale. So you think by now, the miraculous lie detector seems to be a tool that should be installed in the witness box in every courtroom around the Western world. But they aren't, are they, folks? And the reason is that, believe it or not, polygraphs are generally only about 65% correct. And with that in perspective, it makes sense that they're not a free, frequent judicial go-to. But Matt, the question begs, could technology ever hope to come up with a foolproof porcupine detector? And don't you dare try to pull the wall over our eyes. I
0: <laughs> wouldn't dare. wouldn't dare. Have you got it hooked up for me now to see if I'm telling <laughs> the truth? I always like some of the shows, maybe cartoons, where they just give someone the truth pill. Here you go. Mm. Take a truth pill. Not. I'm not talking about yeah, alcohol here. And the room <laughs>
1: goes all fuzzy and then all of a sudden they just start talking.
0: And everything they say is absolute truth. That's in fact, too many truths. Surely that would be a, a better solution but we haven't really seen that in the real world yet. But I love, when you talk about some of those various shows, I love, my favourite scene with the polygraph was in Meet the Parents. Oh, when, oh when, and
1: yeah. Robert De Niro and uh, Ben Stiller, yeah? That's right, yeah.
0: Where Greg Fokker comes out. I think Gaylord is his proper name but no one is yeah. Greg Fokker and he sits down and Jack Burns hooks him up. Jack Burns being the Overprotective father-in-law, yeah, or father-in-law yeah, yeah. to be, and hooks him up, and then hits him with a few simple questions while he's hooked up to the polygraph, and then says, "Have you ever watched pornographic videos?" And of course, Greg's there going, "What <laughs> do I say <clears throat> to my father-in-law who I'm trying to impress?" <laughs> and he asks me that question, and of course, the shot goes to the polygraph, and the needle's just going crazy there. <laughs> now, what Greg should have said was. Well, with only 65% accuracy, Jack, that doesn't really matter what I say as an answer here. It's just not acceptable. That was his out. (laughs) That was his out, but I don't think he he thought quick enough of that out. But the polygraph dates back to 1921. 1921?
1: Yeah, so... They uh, hadn't even worked out electricity for long enough (laughs) back then.
0: (laughs) That's right. So they've actually not improved the concept a lot, probably a little bit, but not a lot, over those last 101 years. But finally, some researchers at Tel Aviv University have actually come up with something that they think will do a lot better job. So what they do, rather than try and work out your heart rate, for example, and your respiration, maybe some things that the lie detector test does, they actually hook some sensors up to your face. And any poker player will tell you. They know definitely. the poker tells. That's right. When someone's bluffing, I can tell because he twitches his eye or scratches his Uh ear or whatever he might do. Well, researchers have found that well, poker players aren't too far wrong, actually.
1: But but I'm sh- surely you know different poker players have different tells. Are you saying that, that we've all got the same sort of tell?
0: Not the same sort of tell. You have to actually do training on this to work out what your tell is. For yeah, some right, people, okay. they found it was an eyebrow movement. Some people it was a cheek movement. Some people it was an eyebrow then cheek, or a cheek then eyebrow.
1: What about a shifting in your chair and uh, <laughs> trying to look the other way and and trying to leave the room in and a just hurry? being
0: shifty? That's too obvious. That one there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I do with my wife. If you rip off the stickers <laughs> and you run out of the room, they go, right, that's his tell. But they've actually done a, a range of testing on people where they've hooked all these sensors up, asked them a series of questions where they've got to answer yes, no, and sometimes i have got to lie and sometimes they've got to tell the truth. But amazingly, straight away with just not a lot of research done, just the first initial testing, already they're at 73%. So better than a polygraph after 101 years, not at... 99.9%, though. Yeah. And I think one of the problems they'll come into or come up with as they go forward is they'll get it better. They'll keep doing more testing. They'll find more of those tells. But there are some people who are very good at lying because they believe it themselves. Mm. So their body doesn't react because they're convinced that, no, I didn't rob that bank. I was sitting at home in front of the TV. So if they can convince themselves, their body doesn't give any tells away about. Telling a lie. There are so
1: many pollies out there that are going, yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's the, the issue but it is actually a problem they're working on. I'm not sure we'll ever get it to the stage where a court of law will accept a lie detector. You would think that maybe we could get the technology so that it should because someone in the witness box who just says, no, yes, well, there's not a lot of pressure on them to tell mm. the truth, really, so they can kind of say whatever they like, and I know that from the movies, because they just seem to say whatever they want in the witness box, and no one says, hold on, put a lie detector test on them, or do anything like that. But I think organisations like the FBI and the CIA even the LAPD use these more for interrogation, hoping that mm. someone says, oh, I know if they work out that I'm telling a lie when they hook me up to this thing, oh, I, oh, I better say the truth then rather than getting in the witness box and trying to expose them. It's just
1: them. a tool to make you sweat and stuff up.
0: I think so. But if they can get it more accurate, if you can imagine they go in there and they hook up a bunch of stuff on your face and then hook up all the polygraph stuff and put some things around your chest, you're probably sitting there going, wow, this is getting pretty good now. I better tell the truth because they'll be mm. on to me if I don't. Mm. Again, how good we get it, I'm not sure, but I like the fact that someone's finally said, you know what, after 101 years, let's try something a bit better. But the truth, pill I really want someone to start working on that for
1: me. <laughs> well, lie detectors, let's hope that I never have to take one of those tests. Yeah. Now, I reckon that it's probably a given that someone who owns a Tesla probably also has almost everything else that they might want as well. Sorry, Matt, that's not a dig. It's just an observation, right? (laughs) Uh, So what sort of birthday present can you possibly give a Tesla owner? Matt, suggestions, please.
0: Well, Tesla's very clever in what they do, and they come up with Tesla-branded stuff to get you to buy stuff, exactly as you say. Well, You've got everything.
1: Tesla fans are Tesla fans. That's
0: right, yeah. They're a bit like Apple fans, aren't they? It's a religion. They're devotees, or devotees, as you would say.
1: You need the Tesla stuff.
0: So you've got things like a tequila. There was a two hundred and fifty dollar bottle of Tesla tequila that people bought just because it was Tesla branded. (laughs) Right, right. Okay. Now it was sold out pretty quickly. So then they started selling empty bottles of the tequila for $150. So you still could buy the bottle. It didn't matter if it was empty. So the tequila (laughs) apparently wasn't that good. (laughs) That's right. Put some water in if you want.
1: Yeah, they weren't interested in the tequila.
0: That's right. And they also had various products. They had some shorts that you could buy which were Based at a price of sixty nine dollars and four hundred and twenty cents, with a bit of a, a nod to four twenty being a number for marijuana and sixty nine being a funny number for everyone. So yeah. they just sold short that, and they got taken up by every <laughs> fan out there. But the latest thing is, and, and i
1: company with a sense of humour.
0: <laughs> I love right. it. <laughs> I, I've never seen this. I've stopped at lots of supercharging stations, and occasionally I'll see someone having a bit of a sleep there. Very occasionally I'll see someone playing on their computer or even using the computer in the car. But most of the time we just see an empty car because they've gone off to get something to eat or get a cup of coffee or go Mm. and do some shopping or whatever. But for some people, apparently, and it's probably more in China than it is here in Australia, they like to sing karaoke. (laughs) Because in every Tesla, you've got a karaoke, which is called karaoke because you're in the car. That makes sense, doesn't it?
1: And you're telling me we've got Tesla karaoke now.
0: Now you've had that for a little while, but you've got an extra accessory now, so it's not just good enough (laughs) to sit there in the car and sing along to your karaoke, you've now got Tesla mics. So you can get Tesla mics to hook up to your car with Bluetooth, (laughs) and you can sing along. And
1: everyone can enjoy
0: it with you. Everyone in the car. They don't blast it to the outside speakers at this stage, but... Give them that idea, James, and I'm sure it's not (laughs) too far away. Because they've actually got speakers now for cars that when you go below a certain speed, in most countries the rules have been changed, so they make some noise for the outside of the car so that people don't get run over, pedestrians don't get run over. But that speaker, you can do various things with that. You can make it have a different noise as you're driving along. Why not have it blast out karaoke or karaoke? You
1: never close your eyes anymore. Well, yeah. I, was,
0: I was more thinking of Blues Brothers, you know, one uh. night only, <laughs> Blues Brothers. <laughs> um, so something like that, you could drive along, you wouldn't have to have the big speaker hooked up on the roof like the Blues Brothers did. You could just use the car, have your mic in the car. So they come a match pair. This is
1: amazing. So
0: two people sit in the front of the car, sing away, bad luck for people in the back. Maybe you need to buy two sets of them. But if someone's got everything, this is what you buy them but the only problem is this is only for our listeners in China because the Tesla mic is only sold on the Chinese Tesla store so if you really want to find a friend in China buy some over there, ship them over to you they'll work in your car here they just can't be bought on the Tesla Australia store
1: the ultimate party car (laughs) and look, how is this going to be different to me just belting out the lyrics to Cold Chisel um, as I tear down the main street
0: Not at all. No (laughs) difference
1: whatsoever. I'm just doing it with a microphone. (laughs) But it's not a microphone,
0: James. It's a Tesla mic. It's not just any microphone. Sorry. Don't forget that. My son
1: buys his shoes online these days. It drives me crazy because I'm a try-before-you-buy kind of guy. How's that for rhyming? What if they don't fit well? That's my concern. Or, Or what if they don't look as good as you thought they would? So now, here, folks, consider buying a new car online. What about the test drive, Matt? And it absolutely <laughs> blows me away that forty-one percent of people reckon they'd buy a car online. Forty one percent, Matt.
0: Forty one percent. Surely that can't be right. No, that's right, James. You've got to get with the times. And I know it's still the majority. <laughs> can't do it. It's still you're in the majority, that's okay. The majority are still going to go. Oh, yeah, but to only their for dealership. a short time before that's right. I feel the pressure. But it's changed because of the ordering problem that we've had with vehicles over the last couple of years, with chip shortages and with COVID demand. Yeah, yeah. Car dealers in the old days, you'd go in there and you'd say, I'd like model ABC, thank you very much. They'd say, Here's a couple of versions of that model, here's the color or the trim. And most people are impatient, so they'd say, Oh, that's close enough to the color I want, thanks very much. I'll take that, and here you go, I'll sign up now. Can I get it today or tomorrow? So you want to be able to take it away then. That's changed because people go in and do that same process, except they say, Can I take it home now? No, sorry. But come back in six months and we'll have your car for you. So now people are saying, well, I might as well get the exact colour I want and the exact trim and all the things that I want in that car. So why bother about going into the dealership? And that's where 41% of people are saying, I'm happy now to go online and order my car, whether it be a pre-order, whether it be an order, an actual order for the car. And sure, I might still pick it up through a dealership. I might still like that little bit of human touch as part of the process. But some car manufacturers are saying, why bother? We'll drop it off to your house, James. We'll have a truck pull up at the front of your place. We'll back it off the truck so that we haven't put hundreds of kilometres on the car delivering it to you. And you'll take delivery of that new car by a truck driver, not by a car salesman who'll Good try man. and show you various things in there and you're going to go and read the manual and play with all the stuff anyway. <laughs> but it is quite incredible. So 41% of people said they were happy to do that. Um, 16% of people in this survey said they'd already done it. Not they're going to do their next one this way. They've already ordered or pre-ordered a car online.
1: So do you reckon these people have done a t- test drive of the car, though, at, at a dealership and then gone and ordered the the exact specs that they wanted?
0: Quite possibly, and this is some of the. You say possibly, th- possibly. I haven't got the data well, I say for the,
1: the probably. You know, because because <laughs> well, I re- I'm thinking back to 25 years ago. I liked the look of a Mitsubishi Mirage. I went and sat in it in the showroom, and my knees were up around my chin.
0: Right. <laughs> so I don't know that they all have, and again, I don't have the data for that. I'm sorry. 98% said they enjoy the experience and they do it again. Yeah, so, th- okay. of, of those people that did it, most people said they probably it was buy happy their shoes online as well. They probably do. And they should be able to because they look at their brand of shoe and they say, I'm a size one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. And I can order another pair of that same brand and it's going to be the same if they haven't grown lately, if they're You're not right. a child growing feet. But That I, sounds logical. It, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? But I take your point that sometimes you might need to sit in it. So this is a problem that retailers sometimes talk to me about, that people come in, look around their shop, try on some clothes, look at the various products that they want to buy, mm. then they might go home and actually order them online. Some people do it the other way around. They do all their research online and then come in because they still want that physical interaction with someone. That but sounds like me. Well, that's pre-COVID. And I think we've really changed our mindset during COVID, where we've had to sit at home, twiddle our thumbs, we've got a bit of government money, so you had to work out some way to spend it. So why not order stuff online? So it is interesting, people have bought their shoes, they've bought some of their gadgets online. Well... Why not buy a car online? The, the difficult part is you try and put your credit card in for your fifty thousand dollar car and you don't have fifty thousand dollars on your credit card. So <laughs> that gets a bit trickier to go and do the order. I think most of these car companies are now doing the order and the deposit online, then you need to work out a way. And just a quick PSA here, when you get that invoice for the car to pay the 50 grand or whatever it might be, I'd actually ring the company before you go and deposit that money. Because that's where some people are being caught out with some of these scams, where the invoice gets intercepted. They get the invoice, hey, I know I'm buying a car. There's the bank details, and you deposit the money into someone else's account. account. Mm. And then the car company says, right, we're ready to send that car out in a truck. Can you pay? Yeah, sure. Exactly right. And then where do you go next? That gets a bit tricky. So get the invoice, and, and I know it sounds boring, and I know people go, what are you wasting my time for? I've sent you the invoice, but before you go and throw that 50 grand at someone's account, I just make that phone call.
1: Leonardo da Vinci. Was he an artist or a scientist? No doubt the man knew how to sketch, of course. He certainly could draw the hell out of a skeleton or a skinned shoulder or a dissected uterus. That's easy for me to say. But he also had some big ideas centuries ahead of their time, like his diagram of the helicopter. Have you seen it? Matt, would it really have been capable of flight, though?
0: It's interesting, isn't it? You can have some people through history that have been so far ahead of their peers that they dreamt up things, they come up with theories. Archimedes, yeah. Archimedes, yeah. Einstein, mm. Leonardo da Vinci, that years later, decades later, centuries later, we then say, huh, look at that, he was right all that time ago. Yeah. Now, if Leonardo was around now, he'd have access to better materials, better ways to produce those materials, better engineering better power supplies and he could say look at what I can do. Now back in about 1480 or thereabouts, he did draw a helicopter design. Now back then when people were trying to work out how to fly because I'm sure for thousands of years we've all seen birds oh, up the, in the air and gone I want to do of that, Icarus, yeah. Exactly right. So we didn't really get the wing and the low air pressure and the high air pressure generated by the shape of the wing like the Wright brothers finally nailed we were trying to work out a way to fly. So what Leonardo did, of course, is he drew a screw helicopter where essentially it was like a screw that blade if you like was like a screw and so he kind of had this idea that it would be pushing air down yeah, with this screw
1: it cut into the air and, and force the air downwards exactly
0: right and then which then would push the aircraft up it was a drawing no one could actually build that or generate a motor that could actually make it spin but it was a drawing conceptually someone has actually taken that drawing and said could i now build that We've got 3D printing. We can build that pretty quickly and easily. We've got lots of little motors. We've got a battery that's got good power supply source. Lightweight materials. And then, most importantly, the engineering to make all that work together. So they built a screw or four screws to be accurate and put it onto an aircraft. And sure enough, it can fly. Now, it's not an aircraft that you and I can get into. It's a very small model aircraft like a little drone. But just like a drone's got four rotors, they use four of these screws and blow me down the screw concept works.
1: There you go, tip of the hat to Leonardo da Vinci.
0: Yeah, and again, it's probably not the most efficient design. Four rotors certainly works better, but the fact that he dreamt up this concept and had these screws that would actually work to actually push the air down, make the aircraft go up, that all actually works. And so I think it's actually quite a good little project. It was a student who was just trying to work out as part of some of the work that he was doing whether or not this would work and actually built it fairly quickly, fairly economically and said, look at this, I've got Leonardo's aircraft that will fly.
1: (laughs) Real tribute to a master.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's right.
1: Now, medical science continues to steam ahead in the 21st century and there is some big news around injury treatment. Matt, could electric wound dressing? Find its way into the modern, the modern first aid kit. And what in the Carol and Chisholm is electric wound Chisholm? <laughs> <Chism. laughs> wound dressing.
0: <laughs> it's something that you expect to see on a James Bond movie, isn't it? In comes James with gaping wounds all over him because yeah. he's just been shot 20 times by the bad guys. Oh, we just
1: get out the electrodes and zap and it together.
0: We'll come up and that's the way we go. And we have progressed with wound healing, although we kind of think the body does a pretty good job by itself. So hmm. we might put a few stitches in, maybe some glue, maybe yeah. some little stickers that yeah, go over
1: it. it interests me that we use glue these days and, and Band-Aids have been good for a long time as well. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, but
0: they've actually found that, and this has been experiments on rats, thank you very much, rats, for your contribution to science once again. <laughs> i like we've had rats around. I don't know what we would have done without rats, maybe experiment on people a bit more, unfortunately. But they've done some work with rats where they've actually put a dressing over a wound. So they've had a wound and half with a dressing... A normal dressing, half with a dressing that actually puts a small amount of electricity across that wound. Now apparently that seems to stimulate the skin to actually ah, work a bit quicker. So bit maybe- of Cell division. Oh, exactly right. Maybe send a few more. I'm not sure what actually uses what. What gets used to patch up a wound? Is it platelets that get sent to well, it? Well,
1: you've got to create a blockage. So you got uh, platelets and uh, and coagulants that have got to create the scab usually, and then you're going to get those cells just repairing themselves by by mitotic, mitotic cell division and um, sealing up the wound. There.
0: There you go. I was going to say up. that. I just want to see if you knew what you're talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's was a test. <laughs> wow, well, well, I've been a sweat for a <laughs> Got <around>. that one. <laughs> so essentially, by having some electricity, again, small amounts of electricity there they found that the wound actually heals quicker that's in rats so that's fantastic but what are you going to do are you going to kind of put a patch on yourself and then hook up to a PowerPoint? that doesn't sound like a very safe thing to do (laughs) put some batteries on and hang them around what they've actually found is they've created dressings that are powered by static electricity so you're actually just creating very small amounts of electricity on the wound and this is something we'll see as a standard thing as we go forward maybe five years time you'll have good old fashioned patches or band-aid, I don't know if band-aid is a proprietary name, but band aids that you stick on your little wound, or you'll have the static electricity version of those. You go, hey, we'll pay a bit more for those. And that'll be a bit of a faster way to heal our wounds. So fascinating where we're going with so many things in medical science. But this is one that I didn't think we needed a lot of research on. But sure, if we can make a wound heal a bit quicker, that sounds like a good thing to do.
1: Yeah. And uh, well, the quicker you can heal it, the, the, the better you are at keeping the infection out as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So to give you an idea, if I want to throw some numbers at you, they found that if you had some sort of electric dressing on the wound, 97% were closed after eight days compared with 76% with normal dressings. So it is Mm. significant. It's not like or you get 1% or 2% more here, that's quite significant. And then if you didn't dress it, the wound was about 46% closed within eight days. And again, this is on rats. But you can see no dressing. Sure, that's not great compared to dressing. And everyone says, oh, does it really make a difference if you put a Band-Aid on? Now, I've seen ads on TV, James, where they have put a Band-Aid across <laughs> half the wound and a Band-Aid not in the other half, and it heals quicker on the Band-Aid side, so it must be better. <laughs> Those ads would never lie to us, but obviously the data's there. And so it's actually just that bit quick, quicker with that electricity going through there.
1: That is extremely cool. And that also concludes the tour through our technological fine art gallery today, people. And now I'm going to jump in my car, crank up the music to 11, and belt out some classic Screaming Jets lyrics all the way home. And just imagine that I've got one of those in-car karaoke mics. I wonder if the they Tesla come mic. with some
0: little earplugs as well. You get the Tesla mic <laughs> with some earplugs. <laughs> you scream
1: your own ear. <laughs> Thanks for the inspiration for that, Matt. And as always, we are extremely grateful for you all, listeners, to tuning in once again to Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. I'm James Eddy, and I look forward to catching your ear again next week. If you know how to like and subscribe, or even leave a comment about our podcast, please do it, and we'll be even more grateful.